0: Welcome to what do you think? I'm Al. I'm C. And today we're reviewing a film from one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, David Cronenberg's newest film, *Crimes of the Future*. So, uh, C, let's uh, let me ask you this: What's uh, the the relationship between me and Cronenberg? goes back goes back literally decades. Uh, so I'll I'll probably be talking quite a bit about him, but uh, kind of what's been your experiences with him as a filmmaker, with his films, uh, that one novel he wrote. If if you mm-hmm. had a chance to read it, what what's been your what's been your experience uh, engaging with the works of Cronenberg and Cronenberg the man?
1: Well, Cronenberg for me, for a long time he was always one of the outsider directors that I didn't really pay attention to I knew of some of his work but not a lot um, I think the very first Cronenberg film I saw was Scanners I saw it in high school I think yeah um, okay, that was the okay, first that thing sounds I saw about
0: right that sounds about right like some, yeah. like it's usually like one of his 80s horror films that people get introduced to in high school
1: Oh, yeah. That's usually how it starts. Uh, After Scanners, uh, I didn't watch a lot of his stuff for a while because I enjoyed Scanners. But at the time, I was like, I don't think this is what I want to like fully delve into until I realized later on in his life. He made things that weren't he had phases like things that he he didn't always do gross out horror. It's just what he's known for or more specifically body horror. Yeah, kind
0: of the thing that made him famous.
1: Yeah, what made him famous. So then actually what's funny is the second film of his I saw legitimately was uh, Eastern Promises, which I still think is one of his best movies, but we'll get into that maybe later. Point is, that was the second movie I saw. So in high school I saw Scanners, didn't see anything of his, just knew he made some stuff similar. And then I see uh, Eastern Promises, and then shortly after that, very shortly after that, I see um, A Dangerous Method. And then it isn't until you introduced me to – you re, you reintroduced me to his work, Al. And now I've like been kind of really trying to cat, play catch-up with what he's done since. I, I will say I also had seen A History of Violence and um, there's one other of his uh, – The Brood before you kind of came in and introduced things to me.
0: Uh, forgive me if, if we've talked about this and I just forgot, but uh – have you never seen The Fly?
1: No, I've seen The Fly, Al. I did. I did see The Fly. But this was... Um, when you explained to me... This was maybe... Oh, one or two years ago. You explained to me just the, the true... Uh, the fact that his remake of The Fly was actually an allegory for the AIDS epidemic. That's when I was like, oh, I got to check this out then, see if this is, like, legit. Because I had seen the original Fly and thought it was just this fun kind of iconic movie, but the remake I see, and I'm just like, holy shit. So I did see it, but, like, you had started to introduce me, but you hadn't mentioned The Brood. I had found The Brood kind of on my own when I found out it was playing at a local theater of ours.
0: You know, it's, it's really funny because... Usually, when when people get introduced to Cronenberg, it's always the fly like of his original body horror phase that everybody watches because it it's, it was his most mainstream film. Mm-hmm. I, crazy, I know. For a uh, while, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. It was like it had it was it was the movie that made uh, well because it was
1: a creature feature at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, it was a creature feature. Uh, believe it or not, uh, Mel Brooks produced it. <laughs> <laughs> jesus I didn't people, know for, that. people forget that mel brooks produced elephant man and uh, the fly wow that is pretty crazy and that was the movie that made uh, uh jeff goldblum famous made him up into the a-list and actually got him his the role his role in uh in jurassic park oh yeah but usually when people see scanners it's after they've seen the fly after they've seen videodrome after they've seen uh, the Dead Zone, which was his adaptation of a Stephen King novel, mm-hmm. so for you to be exposed to Scanners, which was like his first moderately budgeted movie in Canada, that, mm-hmm. that
1: that's a little bit of interesting thing.
0: Um, all right. I
1: will I will add I just did realize years ago when I like when I was in middle school I. I think my dad, when I was nine years old, decided that it was a good age for me to watch The Exorcist. He was not correct, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember for some reason, I swear it was the Exorcist, but it really could have been in a different a different horror movie. but I swear on that, I think it was on a VHS for some reason the fly trailer played first. And I remember seeing that and been like, cause I'd already seen the original fly. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching this and I'm like, what is that? And my dad, I remember my dad saying, I was like, Oh yeah, it was remade years later. But, and then we kind of, we kind of brushed past it. So mm-hmm. I did get a glimpse of that, but I only remember a little, th- the only thing I really remember of that is that in the trailer, you hear his like sort of synthesized, uh, semi-human, semi-not-human breathing happening in the background, and I remember that sound really sticking with me at the time for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually really funny. Usually, uh, when you talk to horror fans who were like a big fan of, of the practical effects in the '80s, there are always two films that people argue were like the greatest uh, the greatest example of practical effects in '80s cinema. It's either The Fly, where the effects were done by Chris Wallace, or mm-hmm. uh, The Thing, and the mm-hmm. effects were done by, I want to say, Rick
1: Baker? <laughs> mm. I still think, and listen, just for the, for the, for the sake of saying it, I think the, the effects in The Thing are a little bit better. It's damn close. Well, like, you're
0: wrong, see? You are wrong. It is, by far and away, The
1: Fly. Oh no 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 the, the the thing you see that the moment you see that shit that happens to the dogs and the thing you're like all right that's that that looks very real, okay. still to so, this day.
0: So to our listeners, I want to apologize. Uh, it wasn't Rick Baker who did the practical effects for the, the thing. It was actually uh, a protege of his, Rob ba- Bodden, that did mm. the effects. So those are always the two films that people argue like was the greatest example of practical effects. Well. In any case, in any case, mm-hmm. so I was a very sick little kid, and um, I was in the hospital around eight, seven years old, and I was watching basic cable, and I, I, for, I forget what channel I was on. I want to say it was AMC, because AMC used to do a, a horror movie nights every Friday night, mm. but I can't be sure. I mean, it was so long ago. Mm. And there was a double feature, a back to back double feature of Cronenberg movies, uh, The Fly and Videodrome. Mm. And, you know, as a kid, you know, in the hospital, they put all these things in your body that just make you feel scared of your body. You know, mm. I, I think that was the best way I could put it. And when I watched those films, uh, the, the theme is your body kind of betraying you. And I, that really resonated with me as a kid. Now, obviously, for those worried about, like, an eight-year-old watching hard-R horror films, hmm. this was on basic cable, so they were edited down quite a bit.
1: I'm um, sure back then, even more so. Like, there's whole... I'm sure for The Fly, my God, there's whole sequences that you didn't see. And yeah. for Videodrome, there's whole scenes you didn't see.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... um so that was kind of my first exposure to Cronenberg and those films always stuck with me. Like, like I genuinely felt like whoever made those films understood what it was to feel like your body was like destroying you. Right. Mm. Obviously I'm, I'm the way I'm verbalizing it is very, uh, kind of a bit more intellectual than a kid would think, but I'm, I'm just trying to kind of give an, an idea of, of how I was feeling. Right. When I, mm. when I watched these films, so later on down the line, when I get more into films, which usually happens around high school, uh, I happened to catch uh, a History of Violence on VHS because a family friend had it, and we wanted to see something. We we wanted to see something adult, right? And I remember thinking to myself, like, holy cr- crap! Uh, the actor from Lord of the Rings and Hidalgo, like, spoiler alert murders a lot of people Mm -hmm. and i was like dang this this film it it doesn't feel like any other gangster film i've seen and i i looked at who directed it david cronenberg and this is actually kind of funny uh later that week i ended up discovering wikipedia online Mm. at school and the way i was like testing it out was like wow do they really have an article of any little thing Mm-hmm. And I happened to remember David Cronenberg. I'm like, okay. And that was the first time I ever saw a picture of David Cronenberg. And I looked at a list of the films he made, and up there was The Fly and Videodrome.
1: Mm. And
0: I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy who made this crazy gangster pick that was so different from other gangster picks or other action crime thrillers also made these these horror films that really, really I empathized with, right? And that kind of started my rabbit hole into Cronenberg. I literally wrote down all the movies that he had directed up until that point, which I believe was Eastern Promises at the time was his latest one. Yeah, Eastern Mm. Promises was his latest one. So this was around 2000, 2000, late 2007 or early 2008. Uh, Early 2008, because that summer I ended up watching The Dark Knight, which came out in 2008. Mm. So I started going to our local... Our, our local like it wasn't a blockbuster it was like it was called Movie Gallery,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I started renting all the Cronenberg they had. Uh, so they obviously had The Fly, they had uh, Videodrome, they had uh, they had um, A History of Violence, they they had uh, Naked Lunch. What else? What Spider? Had, spider? Uh, yeah, they no no they didn't have Spider. OK, Sp- they didn't have spider, but they did, did they have, have crash? No, no, they did not uh-huh. have crash. I did not see crash until freshman year of SCAD because the the local uh, the local independent uh, video store or video rental spot in in where 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 I went to school at had a, had a crash. So,
1: yeah. That's one thing I've learned very recently, Al, is how crash is very hard to find
0: yeah yeah no when i saw crash i was like oh for good reason they they also had uh dead ringers existens um scanners they had everything up until
1: did they have fast company (laughs)
0: uh no they did not have fast company actually oh that's funny they did not have fast company but they had a, a butterfly naked lunch dead ringers they had uh, the Dead Zone. Mm. Uh, they had the Brood. They didn't have Fast Company or Rabbit or Shivers. They didn't have the first three,
1: mm. right? Okay.
0: All right. Uh, so I saw all of those in high school. Uh, you know, to the chagrin of my parents, who were the ones who had to rent them for me because <laughs> I was uh, I, I, I was too young to rent them myself. Mm. Um, and
1: <laughs> see, you you just for to be clear, Al and I both were lucky enough to live reasonably close to. Uh, old-style, independent VHS-slash-DVD rental shops as they later became. I count ourselves very lucky in that sense that a lot of kids these days don't know. Um, but one thing I'll say is, your parents were, from what I you've told me, they were a little apprehensive about renting certain things for you. One day, once I turned 13, my dad walked with me to the VHS store one day and said, listen, unless it's... Uh, he said, unless the rating, he told them, unless it's NC-17, he can get it. And he only got mad at me once when I rec- when I rented something that was more, uh, the violence wasn't the issue, nudity was the issue. But anyways, that's a separate discussion.
0: So, oh, yeah. so I saw, again, I saw all of these.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: honestly, at that time, uh, Eastern Promises had just come out on DVD, and <laughs> the the video the video manager was this very nice lady who was like oh you're the kid who always rents from Cron- that cronenberg guy you know he ha- uh, his newest movie is out on dvd and i'm like great i, I want to watch it and i saw it and i thought to myself like wow this this guy th- this guy like has these phases and they're all so unique in their interesting ways <sighs> he's like uh, what, what attracted me so much to his work was how he was dealing in genre and in visual aesthetics that inherently come off as vulgar, as you know, trashy, trashy, um, you know, degenerate, uh, uh just kind of distasteful, grotesque, mm-hmm. right. But he approaches them with a with an intellectual curiosity and understanding right
1: he approaches them like an artist might create a renaissance painting exactly
0: exactly see that's the best way to put it his approach to these to these topics to these ideas to these visual aesthetics it's it's so so sincere and so i hesitate to say intellectual because it, it kind of implies you know that you know he's like he's
1: better than the others. He's better which than the others. In
0: some cases, he is. But he he really does approach this with a with an intellectual sincerity that you rarely see in in other filmmakers. I mean,
1: I also I do want to add one thing. Throughout high school, it took till college for me to fully be able to consciously separate, and sometimes I still screw up. Consciously separate uh, David Cron- or Cronenberg and Lynch's work, because unfortunately they're. To the untrained eye, there may be some overlap, but once you realize that Cronenberg deals with the more bodily, visceral aspects of it, then you see the differences.
0: Here, here's how you can tell a Cronenberg film from a Lynch film. Sure. In a Cronenberg film, the, the story may be, may be a little obtuse, but there is a story that you can see in the naked eye. With David Lynch, with the notable exception of Straight Story, you are like, where's the story? I'm just seeing crazy shit. And you have to watch it like three, four, five times in order to be like, oh, that's well, the story. Well,
1: Mulholland Drive is pretty accessible. It's out there, but you you understand what's going on from scene to scene. Yeah, you do. Um, but I... It's also got a, that... And I'll end it with that, with saying, David David Lynch has some incredible endings in his movies, but going on, just saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let, put it this way. like Mulholland Drive is usually the one David Lynch movie that people are like, Oh, I, I I think I knew what was going on. Mm. You know? But then he followed that with Inland Empire where you're like, wait, what, what? <laughs> yeah. but but in any case, in any yeah. case, back to Cronenberg. Yeah. Again, I his his work really speaks to me. It still does. You know, even even the, the film of his that I'm I was like most not like engaged with, which would be a dangerous method, it was still I think a, that's the case for a lot of people. I think it's still a fascinating, fascinating look into kinda like the the just kind of more, how would you say, the kind, kind of the itty gritty griminess of of early psychology? You know, I mean, well,
1: if, if I can, and I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, Al, but if I may speak on that a bit, um, my. And this won't give too much away. My dad's a psychiatrist, as you know. So seeing that movie was, even though I had, had a lot of issues with it, there's one moment in that movie that actually really got me, and it's um, remember you know that French actor who was in Black Swan? He was in Ocean's Thirteen as well. He is um, he's a really big French actor.
0: Uh, Vincent Cassel.
1: Yeah, Vincent Cassel. He's in he's in a Dangerous Method. Yeah. And actually, what I have to say, watching that whole movie. His storyline, though, though a significantly small storyline, is the best part of that movie. It's mm. really amazing, and his story could have been a whole movie, but they yeah. they they had they ended it quickly because of what else were they going to do, but you could have done a whole story on that guy, and that would have been interesting because people actually... Could, the one part that made sense to me, not that I have idolization about this, when he killed himself, and spoiler alert, but it's been out for years. When he killed himself in that movie, people were like, it didn't make any sense. It's like, no, if you were listening to what that character was saying, in his messed up world, it did make sense. He was so happy at seeing the sunset or sunrise that he realized in his own perverse way he'd never be that happy again. So he, he thought, end it now. And that's what I thought was truly and utterly fascinating.
0: Exactly. And obviously, you know, the, the, the two films he made with Robert Pattinson, Cosmopolis, and Map to the Stars... Mm. I I call his satirical phase. I, um, all his film have all his films have a satirical element, but these are kind of his most like critiques on society. Mm. In Cosmopolis, it's critiquing uh, I guess you could say the detachment of the one percent. Mm. And in Map to the Stars, it's critiquing the kind of this the Hollywood cult, el- the Hollywood the, the Hollywood elite right. Mm. And and you know it's it's interesting that. After Map to the Stars, he doesn't make anything for a long time. And I think not totally because of his own doing. I think people are just like, oh, David Cronenberg doesn't make money. Um, famously, though, actually not famously, um, he talked about this in his press for Crimes of the Future. He, his agent basically told him, hey, Netflix is greenlighting everything. Go to them. You're going to make a film with them. It's guaranteed. And he pitched them a film. He didn't say what film it was that he pitched. Mm-hmm. And Netflix basically said no. They said no, nah, we were not doing that.
1: Really, Netflix? Netflix, Netflix said no.
0: Netflix said no. Um,
1: well, actually, that's the, another case with that is when John Waters pitched them something. Netflix also said no. It,
0: it's interesting that Netflix at the time, because you got to remember this is between 2015 and 2020. Sure. The, Netflix was basically greenlighting any and everything. Mm-hmm. But to to really like just put a hard no to. Two filmmakers who are very iconoclastic, yeah. very iconic in their style and aesthetics, for them to say, no, 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 you guys go too far. It's really kind of says a lot about what Netflix prioritizes.
1: Well, what Netflix does is they're willing to go very far in so many directions. The problem is, whatever Cronenberg and um, Waters, John Waters, Jesus, John Waters uh, pitched must have been really far in a direction that they didn't really de- delve into and they didn't want to experiment there. They didn't mm-hmm. want to... Because I'm sure whatever they were re- re- were pitching had some level of some something that may someone may categorize as gross on mm-hmm. either end. Um, and so I'm sure they were just like, listen, the gross-out stuff, we don't really have a lot of territory there and we don't... Maybe they just didn't think... Because Netflix, at the end of the day, is algorithm-based, so... Maybe they that, just that, didn't see that's it. That's very
0: true. That's very true. But, you know, in the end, you know, it took some time, but Cronenberg was able to finally make a, a new film after, mm-hmm. what, uh, eight years, which yeah. for me is a crying shame. That man should be, should be able to release a film every other year. But in any case, mm-hmm. uh, let's watch the trailer for Crimes of the Future, and then let's talk about it. What do you think, C? Hell yeah. Okay.
1: I can feel you pulling things around in there. It's a brand new organ, never before seen. We've all felt that the body was empty, empty of meaning, and we've wanted to confirm that so that we could fill it with meaning. The world is a much more dangerous place now that pain has all but disappeared. surgery is sex, isn't it? Is it? Mm. You know it is. Surgery is the new sex. I don't like what's happening with the body. In particular, what's happening with my body. Which is why I keep cutting it up. What do you think they'd find inside it? Outer space. Oh. Whoops. Sorry. Let us not be afraid to map the chaos inside. Let us create a map that will guide us into the heart of darkness.
0: Seeing those images again just kind of put a big smile on
1: my face. Well, well, indeed, that was um, yeah, that was uh, that was the thing we watched.
0: That was the thing we watched. So uh,
1: I, I I will. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go on. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, no, see, I was actually gonna just give the floor to you to give your thoughts on the film.
1: All right. So this film is incredibly unique in a lot of exciting ways. It really is. It okay, it's not, it's it's so original in its aesthetic and its process in what it's in the way it's telling its story that you just have to admire that that fact about it. That being said, clearly, clearly, and Al, I think you'll agree with me. This film is not for everybody. It really isn't. Would you agree? No, I, I,
0: I totally agree. And before I let you continue, uh, just to give our, our listeners kind of an idea of what the plot is. So yes. this is the official synopsis. Humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. With his partner Caprice, Saul tensor celebrity performance artist publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances. So let me kind of explain... So in in a, a future which which is not it's very
1: so, vaguely explained.
0: Yeah, in in a, in a future that is very, or it, it's it's pretty obvious that it's kind of sort of dystopian. Everything's dirty and grimy, and there's not a lot of people around. But it's
1: it's also not in a very interesting way, I and mean, we'll get into that a little later. But yeah, go on. yeah,
0: yeah. So the the protagonist played by uh, Viggo Mortensen, Paul Tenser. Is a performance artist who, basically, humanity is in this weird state of of kind of evolving while still existing. So all everyone like younger than him has kind of lost the ability to feel pain. He's still in that generation that feels pain, but his body is going through these crazy, spontaneous, uh, generation of organs of random organs of new organs <laughs> that he basically considers them glorified tumors so him and his partner Caprice played by Leia Sadeau make a performance art out of it they she basically uses these elaborate very Cronenberg-esque futuristic machines reminiscent to the video game machines <laughs> in the existence
1: very and, uh, very biomechanical
0: yeah very biomechanical she basically removes removes them in front of a in, live. in, front, in front of a live audience who's really into it Mm -hmm. and and, uh, basically because he's in this like community of artists that do a ton of of body modifications he runs into a variety of let's just say weird people yeah and and basically the story is is him like coming up with coming up or being inspired to do this certain performance and all the weird interesting people that kind of come in and out of his life uh in order to in order in order to kind of get him to kind of accept what his body is doing to him
1: but what i what i liked is cuz i was expecting this to go a bit of a fly route in like like basically every time an organ starts to develop once it becomes too much for his body to handle they do a performance and remove it live and then display it for everybody it becomes a sort of art show I was expecting the movie's direction to basically be like, okay, he's going to do another organ that's coming in pretty fast, but it was going to be too much for him. And I thought it was going to then, it was going to like take over or something. I am actually really happy to say that that's not entirely the direction it went. And it actually managed to take it and go bigger in scope. And it managed to work, which so, I was really impressed by.
0: So see, it is actually really interesting you bring that up because this is basically the going the opposite direction of the fly. Whereas Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, uh, Seth Brundle, he he comes to accept he he comes to like appreciate, accept and encourage the changes that are happening to his body until the end when he's like finally goes like, oh, no, this is this is fucked up. Right. in In a very iconic way, he basically tells the audience, you know, through just the movement of an animatronic hand like, no, actually, this sucks. Uh, whereas uh, Saul Tenser, played by again, played by Viggo Mortensen, in in a great in a great way, he basically is not happy with what his body is doing, but mm-hmm. then ultimately goes like, actually no, this is this is great, you know. So it's, it's really it's, interesting. It's an it's opposite. The opposite. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's an opposite. It's so that's really interesting. So um, yeah, tell me the things you really really liked about this
1: movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I just loved the style, aesthetic, and performances. I really did. Um, the story at the end of the day, folks, it's a film noir, and that totally works, 100%. Absolutely down with it, ready to enjoy it. But just know at the end of the day, you are watching a film noir with body, hor- with body horror. Um so I like, I get you know what? No, I liked that it was a body horror film noir because I don't know if we've gotten that before, but now we have. Um, I also really, really liked the fact that it, had a, It had a very specific, strange message, but somehow managed to not be preachy, because that's a fl- that is a flaw of some, not just Cronenberg movies, but whenever you get into these dystopian sci-fi movies, even some of the greatest ones, they get preachy, they can, like especially if the dialogue just becomes a monologue of a lesson uh, in certain ones. The biggest example I find is in Ghost in the Shell, which I love the original anime, but there's a moment where it's like, it gets a little... It gets a little monologue-y, and it's shoving its message down its throat a touch. Mm -hmm. What I liked about this is it did have a clear message, but it didn't shove it down your throat. It just presented this feast of it, and it said, if you partake, you have to listen to what we're saying. That's very much what this was like. It felt like you can eat this if you want to. You can can enjoy this, but you have to listen to us if you're going to. Um, And I really, really, really appreciated that. I also thought this was just grade A... Great a soundtrack. Just a great fucking soundtrack that you can listen to on your own and I'm sure anyone listening do that immediately. It's so no, good. It's done by frequent Cronenberg collaborator Howard
0: Shore. Most famously, the composer for The Lord of the Rings.
1: Yes. Now, I will also say, sadly, this is the first film, first major film Cronenberg directed that he did not work with his sister as the costume designer. May she rest in peace. That was... I didn't know that she passed away, so that was sad. But t- that being said, the costumes were done to fine perfection. They were exactly what we needed. I also, before I forget, really liked that. Clearly, this guy was being made as Banksy of this weird world. Clearly, like that was the idea.
0: Oh no, totally. It, it really was. Um, the one one of the things, kind of, kind of going back to the the setting, kind of the, the world that Cronenberg creates. Cronenberg, to his credit, always has these idiosyncratic visions. And sometimes we, when we're presented something that is different from what we're expecting. Our, our brains kind of tend to go like, oh, well, then this is wrong. In, in the case of Crimes of the Future, Cronenberg's presenting a world, a future where uh, everything's done on paper everyone lives in kind of these really run down like almost abandoned buildings you know there's there's in the background you see just these 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 like ships that have been turned over um, you don't see any cars in this movie
1: None. um you also don't see computers and i figured something else out uh, you don't see any guns no you don't you don't see any guns
0: uh, what you do see are these uh, these pieces. And there's of- a reason why I'm
1: saying that. Sorry. Yeah. Just,
0: yeah. What you do see is these pieces of biotechnology uh, created. Oh, I forgot the name of the uh, of the company that they talk about in Universe. But essentially, this company created these bio machines to be used to to do surgeries, to um, to do autopsies, basically, so that the the distance between technology and 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 uh, biology, that there is more space between them because at times these pieces of technology look more like exoskeletons, like like the carcasses of dead uh, of a dead biological being that humans connect themselves to. Again, if you've seen Existenz, like I would not be surprised if Cronenberg later came out and said, "Oh, this takes place in the same universe as Existenz." Because mm-hmm. it's kind of the same rules of this grimy, very sparsely populated future, um, definitely a post-war future. And all the technology that we do see is all biomechanical.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that, that makes it so unnerving because, ironically, we're more used to seeing people with, with like metal and hard plastics attached to their bodies mm-hmm. instead of things that look vaguely like like a spine or vaguely or va- vaguely like like bones or flesh.
1: But what I also loved specifically about the aesthetic and this gets a little I don't want to say spoilery but it can so warning out there for anyone listening. I will say that So the the area that this is it's shot in a what is you found out it was shot in Greece, right?
0: It's shot in Greece, yeah. Okay.
1: And it's shot in some small town that really the infrastructure isn't well upkept kept up. It's just not in this in this town they shot in. Because that's where that's what it looks like. So but you're not see it's not like an atom bomb went off. That's the thing. It's just like oh it just hasn't been upkept but the clothes they are all wearing and the the things they use to like engage with either eating or in just the things they need to do the technology and the clothing it's very new like even the clothing is very clean and pristine so it's very interesting it's like it's literally like the best way i can describe the visual style is this, like, something is being born out of this old, rotting world. And the new is very fresh and clean, but very almost alien-like. It's mm-hmm. fascinating to look at.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one thing to keep in mind, and I, I kind of want to see what your thoughts on this is, is that, first and foremost, this is David Kernenberg's return to body horror. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely a film that... While I personally believed the marketing pushed a little too far, the idea of like, oh, what you're gonna see is gonna be super disgusting, and, and people are gonna wanna walk out, like, mm-hmm. like, it, like which did happen, which obviously happened at Con, but it's not how you would say like, th- this film is not such a like an assault on the senses on, on taste that you're gonna feel disgusted. Um, But there there is things here that you're going to be like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable. Um, But kind of, again, going to the body horror. uh, The the main crux of the film is a discussion on body modification and the reasons we do it and whether we should do it, right? Uh, And we have multiple facets to this. On one end, we have people who who modify their bodies to quote unquote, be closer to where nature wants to take us. And then there are, there are people who don't modify their body because nature has taken them there. And then there are people who modify their body because they're desperately trying to go back to what they consider quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. And there are people who modify their bodies because they just don't want to be normal. So it's multifaceted there. Yeah. The, the film does a good job of showing you no examples. matter
1: what, everyone's modifying their body in some way, which is interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, it's either nature doing it or them doing it but there's always like someone representing a facet of that idea mm-hmm. and i really appreciate cronenberg doing this because make no mistake crimes of the future is definitely cronenberg this is this is what i would call an essay film where a filmmaker has ideas they want to talk about and they they sort of force a story to fit into the ideas they want to talk about. Listen, Cronenberg's not the only director that does this. A ton of directors do this, mm-hmm. where there's an idea they want to talk about, and instead of you know coming up with a story and getting the ideas from the story, you know they basically have these ideas and they're like, okay, how? What type of story can I make with this without, without um, um, having my ideas suffer or be lessened?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that being said. Cronenberg, because he's, he's done this a bit before, he's done this with, again, Cosmopolis, uh, Maps of the Stars. Some people have argued that Spider is also something like that, even though he didn't write it himself. Cronenberg uh, is really good at, at finding a good, compelling story to get his ideas across. Um, and Crimes of the Future is no exception. It, it's like you said, see, it is a noir with body horror, and it works. Uh, Salt Tenser. This is this is quite funny. Great Saul, names
1: for the characters, by no, the way.
0: <laughs> really, really great names. So Salt Tenser is your prototypical noir protagonist. You know, the only the only difference is that instead instead of him being like a former soldier or a cop or, or you know, something one would consider like, the epitome of noir protagonist, he's a performance artist. Mm-hmm. But he still makes it really work. You know. Uh, for reasons we won't get into because then that would be spoilery he is very it's very easy for him to fit into that mold of the noir protagonist who's always asking questions always trying to find out what's going on and kind of always feeling frustrated that he's out of the loop and that the the main i guess you would say mystery doesn't get revealed to him until the climax and again, Vigo Mortensen does such a great job with that. He really does. I, I think a lot of that has to do that he has this rapport with Cronenberg after doing what three films together. Uh, they're they're as tight as thieves. I think it's just the fact that Vigo has been in the industry long enough that he knows like what type of um you know what type of genre calls for what type of performance. He's just. He he he's really, really good in this. Mm-hmm. You know, even though even though ironically he doesn't get much to do in the terms of growth, because again, as the noir protagonist, his job is to kind of be mystified up until the climax, right? Mm-hmm. Uh that being said, uh Leia uh she plays his partner in crime, uh his romantic partner Caprice. Mm-hmm. She has she has the more like, you know. The, the more, like, expected character arc that you, you see in, you know, in regular stories, you know, she she has character growth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she grows from someone who has one certain idea of body modification and then comes out with a different idea of modi- body modification. Mm-hmm. And there, there are scenes in here where she has to do some, frankly, weird shit, like really mm-hmm. weird shit. And, yeah. you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think to myself, like, who else but Leia Sado can do this, you know? Truth. Um, there There is nudity in this movie, a lot of it. And it's mm-hmm. always done in a weirdly, like, blend of titillation and just kind of disgust, mm-hmm. which, which is, like, right there is Cronenberg's wheelhouse. I mean, see, like, you've seen uh, Easter Promises, and I'm sure no one can say that he goes <laughs> almost, what, his... His ten-minute nude scene is titillating. You're just horrified over what you're seeing. Yeah. And but again, Cronenberg works at that apex, and it's it's just so good. And who else but Leia Sado? You know, she's so comfortable with her body. Mm-hmm. She's so comfortable, just performing these weird acts that are a- asked of her. Mm-hmm. And you know, you just can't help but say like, that was weird. But I'm really happy you you were able to go there. And and finally, Kristen Stewart, who who to me was the highlight of this film. Kristen, oh, wow. Kristen Stewart knows what to what is expected in a Cronenberg movie. You know,
1: she, she she's clearly she based on how she performed, she's clearly a fan. She's
0: clearly a fan, and not just that, she she knows. Okay, Cronenberg does weird, sexy, and off putting all at once. And that's literally what her character of Timlin is. She's this weird, mousy, obviously repressively horny woman <laughs> who, who it's it's so obvious she wants to fuck Saul Tenser, mm-hmm. but has no idea on how to do that because so she, so she actually works for for the for the mostly unseen government in this film. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't a spoiler, but her her job is basically. To record all those weird, all those weird organs that are spontaneously generating within people. Mm-hmm. And, but it's so obvious she took the job just for the chance to run into Saul Tensor. And she does multiple attempts to try to convince him to, to fuck her. But, and we're not going to explain why. The way he does people, not. The way people fuck in this movie is, uh, Let's just say well, it's uh, not a, You
1: hear it in the trailer, folks, when, she, when Kirsten Stewart's character goes, Surgery is the new sex. You know that, it is. Like, that's, that's just a taste of it.
0: That energy Kristen Stewart gives is like, this is someone who understood the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> like, she understood the assignment. She understood what type of movie she was in, and she went with it. Now... Someone who's not mentioned in the trailers and but ironically gets billing above Kirsten Stewart is Scott Speedman, an mm. actor most people know from uh, the Underworld movies. He was the love interest of Kate Beckinsale's character. Yeah, uh, He's kind of stuck to like indie movies and TV. He's in the American TV show version of Animal Kingdom.
1: Mm.
0: So he's kind of stuck to that. He's never really gone back to the blockbusters that kind of for a while made him made him pretty well known or and,
1: fate, rec- rec- not known but recognized
0: yeah recognized and he um he, he has a role here that's he has a he plays probably the key role in here and well again, he, he he's he ha- the
1: inciting incident in a lot of ways
0: yeah he's the he's the um i guess you would say the
1: the driving force behind the yeah, bigger he, story
0: he's the driving force he's I hesitate to say villain, but he's kind of the guy that is creating a lot of obstacles for a lot of people. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: uh, yeah, Uh, see if if you can
1: continue on with some more ideas you may have. Um, I'll say, so going on to that, this is not a movie for everybody. I'll I'll add that when I finished the movie and I'll be clear, when I finished the movie, I was like, "Yep, I know why people walked out," and it's not just the body horror. There are things that, and as Al alluded to, that will make everyone uncomfortable. Just there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So it's like I, I know Al and I are gushing about this film, but I do want to stress that like, if this is not your thing, you you don't don't feel compelled to to engage with it, because it, it's it's not going to... This isn't how you introduce yourself into this world, so to speak. Um, but if this is your cup of tea, or if this is something you're curious about, give it a watch. Just know that it's going to push some limits that you didn't think you had or didn't have. Um, but I will say, it's not... I, I will be clear, it's not torture porn. It doesn't go that far. But it does... It just it, it crosses some, some lines that you don't expect it to fully cross.
0: Yeah, this is definitely not the film to take your friends and introduce them to David Cronenberg. No. Think, <laughs> I think the gold scanners, standard... For, scanners, scanners. Well, think. I was going to say the gold standard is literally either The Fly or Eastern Promises, where you're like, okay, let me show you his most iconic phase, and then his most critically acclaimed phase.
1: Here's what I would, here's why I would say Scanners over Video Not because Scanners is a better movie, but because Scanners actually has aged a little, you know, more, and it looks a little faker. You can actually introduce people better that way because they'll be like, it's more clearly fake, and you're like, okay, this is what he does. And then you show him Eastern Promises, and you're like, okay, if you want to see his shit get more real, his body horror shit get more real, now see Video now see The Fly, things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So no, that's actually, my thing. Um, I, I can, I can, I can take that argument.
1: Like, especially someone who's not into that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, let me show you something where it's still incredible, but like, it doesn't look as real. You see the lines of latex. Is all I'll say. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. So, see, was there anything in this film that really didn't speak to you, or kind of made you a little critical of the film?
1: Um. I think the only thing for me is that, how do I put this? I just emphasize again the fact that this movie isn't for everybody and people could say, "Oh, that's every movie." It's like, "No, guys, really." Like it's almost a movie I'm scared to recommend because it's like what the f-? it's like what the fuck was that? It's like that in that sense. So, my that's it's not even a critique. It's just like just really know what you're getting into. Just really know. But I'll, I will say this. If you saw men and didn't like it, that's not an indication that you won't like this. I'll say that.
0: Okay, okay. So my only critique of this film is that the sometimes the scope exceeded the reach of the budget. Um, so obviously this film takes place in a future, in a, in a sort of post-apocalyptic future, and Cronenberg has a very idiosyncratic vision of that future, that allows him to get away with, you know, not showing things you would expect in, in a dystopian future set film. Mm-hmm. Um, the the biggest thing, though, that I wish he had done more was kind of give us some establishing shots of the geography, kind of show us more of how the society functions, how, how, how the society goes about its day to day. But obviously mm-hmm. that involves a lot of extras, a lot more sets, and basically more money and this yeah. this was made on a pretty small budget um so but that's I, also
1: a little bit of a charm about this movie too sorry there's a charm no, to it in that no way. i
0: can totally accept people arguing that that it adds to the charm of the film it's just that for me personally you know when when you present to me these ideas in this type of story i sometimes expect to be like okay well how is the the kind of the everyday person uh, living. Interac- living and interacting with kind of this, this community of sorts.
1: That's true. It, it was a bit of an empty world, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's really my only critique. I, I know a lot of people always criticize Cronenberg because his dialogue comes off as very sterile. But that's at this point, that's kind of his thing that mm-hmm. if his dialogue didn't come off like that, you're not really getting a Cronenberg movie. So And I he always, proved
1: people wrong in that in both Eastern Promises and uh, History of Violence, by the yeah, way.
0: Yeah, no, he really did. So
1: if, if people are always
0: like, oh, he, his dialogue comes off as very sterile, very clinical, like, well, yeah, that, that, that's kind of how he makes his movies. Um, so if you're going to mark that against him, you know, you're kind of marking his entire, entire filmography against him. But, mm-hmm. but really, truly, again, going back, that was kind of my only critique of the film was that the scope of the story exceeded the grasp of the budget. And honestly, you know, I don't blame him for just kind of saying, all right, I'm going to make it for this budget because I just want to make something. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean the man hadn't made a film for eight years, yeah. which is a crime in and of itself. I, I have to, it bears repeating. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I, I wish if he was given like maybe what, Five million dollars more. Ten. Oh, yeah, but... No, really, ten. Because you do yeah. have to
1: make a set at that point, and fuck, you know sets are, sets are expensive.
0: No, yeah, that's totally true. Um, outside of that, I really have no critique of this film. Again, I think C is right on the money that this is not a film for everybody. I mean, that's that's just a fact. It's not. And the if it's not the aesthetics that are going to turn you off, if it's not the... The weirdness of the technology that's going to turn you off—it's going to be the third act that really turns you off. Like you—you you have to have a a very, very, very firm disposition of what you're willing to see on screen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because, listen, again, the 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 kind of the the what do you call it? The the lead up to the film. You know the the press for this film has kind of been leading into this idea that like, oh, this is Cronenberg's most shocking film yet. Uh, yes no, and no. No, it's not.
1: Mm, well, okay, yeah, yes and no. That's a better
0: way to put it. Yeah, Sorry. yes and no. Like, trust me, there's things you see in Videodrome, and I would even say in something as more more kind of grounded, like uh, Dead Ringers, shows mm-hmm. much more shocking things, viscerally shocking things. Mm-hmm. But there again, the third act is something that, that you know, for for a lot of people, it's like okay, that that kind of crosses the line for me, and I may not be into that. Uh, I would suggest that if you if you have a friend who's really into Cronenberg, they've already seen this film, and just ask them, hey, you know me, do you think Crimes of the Future would be a good movie for me to get into Cronenberg? And they'll they'll give you an honest answer. And most of them will probably say no, 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 no. Let's let's work you you up like let's work <laughs> you up from uh, Scanners or The Fly or or History of Violence, all the way to, to Crimes of the Future.
1: Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get yeah, there.
0: You'll get there. So, uh, C, uh, please, give your review. Give your uh, score.
1: I give it a flush. It is a honest but very messy flush. It's a flush where, for some reason, because you're low on cards, you have to use your Joker card and the instruction card as wild cards. But under those rules, it's flush, if that makes any sense. Hmm.
0: is that is all you have to say about about it
1: um well i mean if we're getting the final verdict i would say i give it a flush oh and no you do not have to see this in theaters i mean i think we've been kind of i've been kind of pushing that by saying it's not for everybody uh, and for that reason you do not have to see this theaters unless this really is your kind of thing like unless you're alan damn it unless you're al with like levels of love with Konenberg. you do not need to see this in theaters. Um, But overall, I really liked it a lot. It's a flush, just a flush where you had to bend the rules rules a little bit to make certain cards count towards what it would be. But it's still, without a doubt, a flush. Um, I actually really, really liked... uh, Also, one other thing, I thought the lighting in this movie was really good. It somehow poured more into the noir aspect of it, especially one of the opening shots where it's the shot of the bed and like the sun rises just coming in and she opens the blinds. There's something about that that was oddly aesthetically beautiful. So that's the only other thing I'll add. So it's aesthetically beautiful. It's an odd flush, but it is a flush that you don't have to see in theaters.
0: So it's interesting you bring that up because this is his first film he's done without his regular DP Mm. whose name escapes me. Um, The new DP his name is Douglas Coke. Hmm. And this seems to be like his first big movie that he's done.
1: Big good good job, Douglas Mm. Coke. You did good. Yeah,
0: big is a relative term, but this is like yeah, this is like his first like thing that's probably with a with a name
1: with a name director.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 the best way to put it. Um all right, so here's here's gonna be my score. Long live the new flush. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's that's my score i like Hell listen yeah. i'm i'm a cronenberg fan i've even even on his quote unquote less film in this case uh, uh dangerous method i've always been on board and on the same wavelength as his films like, i guess that says a lot about my level of weirdness hey but
1: you go you you do your thing
0: yeah but it's it's just the truth so obviously this is no exception I really, really, really was into the vibe of this film. You know, I like I love the fact that it's it, it, it's so idiosyncratic. It's so different from what we see, you know, and m- most of all, it's Cronenberg is just clearly stating his ideas on humanity, on evolution, on the future. You know, these are fascinating ideas like, if Cronenberg decided, you know what, I'm going to do a speaking tour on the ideas of Crimes of the Future, I would buy a ticket in a heartbeat. <laughs> I, I, I would
1: be in line. You'd buy Cronenberg's the... phone book reading tour, first of all. But... Well, I would. I would. Mm-hmm. Have
0: you heard the man talk? He has such a soothing voice.
1: Yes, yeah. I heard him talk in Jason X. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Yes, folks, he's in Jason X you know, for a minute. You,
0: know, you could have just said the new Star Trek TV show. He's in that. Oh that too. That too. The, no, I wanted
1: would, to I wanted to go lower of the barrel.
0: Oh God. Oh God. You know, he plays the villain in a Clive Barker movie called Nightbreed that we do need to see. And I would okay. love to do a review on. But in any case, this is long live the new flush. <laughs> I will <laughs> say I agree with I agree with C. If you have not been exposed to Cronenberg or if you know see if you're not of the composition of watching things that are a little you know edgy visceral and edgy don't don't watch this film work your way up you know mm-hmm. listen everything is fake nothing is real we all know that mm-hmm. but i think one of the one of the most fascinating things Cronenberg always talks about and and kind of works on with all his movies is just the idea of what an image can do to a person just an image mm-hmm. something that is artificial not real you know mm-hmm. just an image and how that can cause these reactions to us and i'm here to say like there's some images in here that while won't make you throw up will make you kind of wince so yeah find your local cronenberg fan and ask them hey is crimes of the future something i need to watch in theaters or at all and they'll give you an honest answer but for me a guy who's been a Cronenberg fan since he was seven years old, which says a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah. to me, is one of his better works. This, to me, is one of the better films of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, again, it, it, it talks about these ideas in such an idiosyncratic way that, that you can't help but give it so much respect. And I'm really, really excited because Cronenberg is making movies again. He's currently in pre-production of a movie he's making with, guess who? Vincent Casale.
1: What? Called the Sh-
0: it's called The Shroud, and it's about uh, Vincent Casale trying to make a machine to reunite with his dead wife.
1: Oh, good. So we're going to see some real shit. <laughs> okay. We're going to see some crazy shit, and this I'm is all his, here for so it. So what you're telling me is Cronenberg's finally doing Bride of Frankenstein. Exactly. Finally. Finally,
0: finally. folks. You know, You know, I wish I was in the universe... Where and it's Cronen- going to be
1: gayer than *Bride of Frankenstein*? Well, I'm just I, I, I
0: was going to say, kidding. I wish I lived in the universe where Cronenberg said yes to the return of the Jedi job. Mm. I wish I lived because because then maybe there he'd be he'd be given more opportunities in Hollywood instead of having to kind of go to Europe. But alas, wait, really? How's
1: um, how's George Lucas doing? <laughs>
0: uh, well, hey, George Lucas. Literally begged David Lynch and David Cronenberg to take the jobs. And they said to, no. <laughs> th- they, they said no because of the Ewoks. Yes. Literally. Of- literally. They both were like, we saw the Ewoks and we were like, hmm. David Lynch says, like, he got a splitting headache. And Cronenberg was <laughs> like, I, I don't know if this is something I can execute on screen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Uh, fair.
0: No, no, no. But honestly, honestly, even though we live in this universe, I'm still glad that I'm so happy that Cronenberg is making films again. Mm -hmm. And here's hoping that this thing gets released a year later because Cronenberg is known to work fast. Oh, he is a little bit of trivia before we go. Mm -hmm. See, did you know Cronenberg is one of the few, if not the only uh, known director who does not do uh,
1: storyboards. Really? I did not at, know at that. All. He doesn't do storyboards at all. Oh, wow. I would have... I, I didn't know that. He
0: literally goes on set and liter- and starts telling, like, oh, I think we should cover this, we should cover that. That would work really well. He's talked about it in a lot of his interviews. He's like, oh, I don't do storyboards. And for someone who's made so many films with practical effects...
1: Mm-hmm. Especially
0: early on in his career, where it's
1: necessary to be like, ah, oh, we don't need storyboards. Why At which our... point, the the production designer and props master and and makeup artist are like, what the fuck you mean we don't need storyboards?
0: <laughs> Just comes out and is like, there are no storyboards. No, 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 no. Show me the show me show me the the practical effect. It's here. All right, let's uh, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's cover here. Let's cover there. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's something that I really really respect about him because you know. Not a lot of directors can get away with that.
1: Not at all.
0: But this this guy can. This guy can. But in any case, in any case, thank you so much for joining us on this review for David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. Until next time, this is What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. Take care. Good night,
1: everybody.